Rachel. What are you doing? I'm recording my podcast lessons from last. Who are you speaking to this week? Rob. Rob who? Rob Cowlin. He's someone who's learnt a lot from the death of his father. And the porcupine? Ah, oh, the porcupine isn't in this episode, but we do talk a lot about guide ropes and being open to receiving help from others. That sounds interesting. Let's go. Hi, I'm Rachel Smith and I'm the host of the Lessons from Loss podcast, in which we share experiences of loss and more importantly, what we've learned from them. Today's guest is Rob Cowlin, a force to be reckoned with in the endurance running community, having just completed the North Downs Way 100 mile running race this weekend. And on top of that, just two weeks ago, a mere 145 miles along the Kennet and Avon Canal. Just to complete one of those events is an epic achievement. Um, and to complete two is absolutely mind-blowing. So huge congratulations, and I hope you're recovering well. But welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, just, <laughs> I am, um, yeah, already kind of uh, flabbergasted by the introduction. It uh, means a lot. Thank oh, you. Absolutely. Well deserved. Uh, yeah, it's just still, however, however far we go, still find it's, it's kind of struggle to um, to hear people say such nice things about you, but I'll, I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Thank you. Excellent. So <laughs> but you're no stranger to challenging journeys, having lost your dad to cancer about six years ago, I understand. And then yeah, in the aftermath right. that followed, perhaps came close to losing yourself too. So how did you initially deal with losing your dad at sort of a relatively young age for, for you and for him? Yeah, so I was um, heading towards 30 when um, when we got the news that dad had cancer and um, it, it very quickly went down the route where he was terminally ill. That was very hard for him to take, incredibly hard for us to take, me to take. Um, and... At the time, I didn't see it, but I have since, in a positive way, seen it as an opportunity where we got a chance to reconnect, spend a bit more time together while he was still healthy and well. And um, in a way, I, I suppose, saw that as a, as a big positive thing. But mm. obviously, however you try and spin it, for me, it, it was very different. And I'm a very emotional person anyway. Um it was very, very uh, impacting on me um, at the time we lost him. And since um, in the immediate aftermath, ironically, I probably put all of my energies into delay type tactics. Again, not to be known at the time. I've never really dealt with grief in, in that, in that, with that kind of magnitude. Grandparents right. have gone. Um, very sad but you know almost you can accept when your grandmother passes at 97 yeah it's, it's natural isn't it it's part from, part of yeah life. from quote unquote you know natural causes she's had a fantastic life something to be celebrated but there was definitely a feeling of um anger um you know in the way of sadness then deep sense of uh, loss I suppose to talk to the reason why we're here um that I covered over I suppose as I, I did in the intervening years, but but more so in that year, 2016, the year after he he passed away, I threw myself into living my life to the fullest. I suppose trying to do things that I feel like he would have wanted to do or he would have been proud of me for doing. Um, there was definitely a nod to him when I um, 
not when I jacked my job in, but I, I stopped doing the job that I really hated. I, I literally gave him my notice and decided to go on a um, sabbatical, if you like, mm. and spent all of my savings that I had at the time um, that, I, that I'd earned over you know, seven or eight years of working for that company on a trip to South America. He was always oh. fascinated by these things and traveling around you know, Peru, Bolivia, Colombia, the jungles, that adventure, while specifically not something he ever talked about, I just felt very much sort of a oneness with him and a very, um, a very a surprisingly sort of settled um, feeling within myself, which made me think I was kind of dealing with this loss in the right way. Um, equally, you mentioned I did the North Downs Way 100 at the weekend. Um, thank you. It actually happens that five years ago in 2016, I took that on as my first ever 100 mile event. Um, you know, throwing yourself out the comfort zone, if you like, it was a year of bucket list things to do. Um, and I completed that pure, purely as a novice runner under the inertia and um, determination, um, I suppose, of, of honouring his memory and doing mm. it for the charity. Uh, Macmillan who looked after him when he was in the hospice and things like that but I've probably since come to realize that all these things were one a way of distracting myself from I suppose you know dealing with what was there because I didn't know how else to deal with it to be honest Rachel yeah, yeah. I, there isn't a rule book for this I no. don't really read a lot of books and I probably wouldn't have taken help because at the time and, and I hope I hope I've learned a lot. I, I was probably quite a stubborn person in the sense that I would turn a lot of help away mm. or would think I'm too, not in a, a sort of alpha male type way, but I'm too strong and I shouldn't need that. I shouldn't need to be molly coddled and looked after and therapy is a dirty word and all of this stuff. So I'll just go and seek my own solutions as I always have in life and I've muddled through, but this was clearly something I couldn't muddle through. Yeah, So um, yeah, I completely... I completely relate to that after my husband died, you know, just threw myself back into life. Um, I can remember actually the day after his funeral and my parents went home sitting on my bed, just thinking, well, you know, this is, this is the start of the rest of my life now. Best mm. better get on with it. And yeah, for, for four or five years threw myself into life, but yeah, it caught up with me eventually. Yeah, because it was all, all those quiet moments. It still happens, to be honest, mm. even more well adjusted. I will go out and I will run 100 miles or I will go and do a run in the evening and then I might come home. And this has been a recurring theme, especially previous to 2021 uh, with all that's gone on. But there would just then be a, a sense of loneliness, emptiness. And mm. overall, what I'd say Dad's death brought me was this acute sense of my own mortality which I'd never had to deal with before because it was always a step removed and so I dearly loved my grandparents but when they passed away I still had that layer of protection I still had my my guardian I still had my mum and my dad and to lose yeah. my dad at a young-ish age I mean 63 before his retirement and he probably lived a healthier life than certainly I was living at the time I, I then every day since woke up, whether I accepted it at the time or not, feeling like my days were, were numbered to the point where I, I uh, and I, this is clearly like signs of anxiety, if you want to label it, but at the time I wanted to deny it, 
um, you know, checking my pulse compulsively hundreds of times a day to check that I wasn't having a heart attack. When my heart would skip a beat, sometimes I would physically have to curl into a ball sort of on the floor, you know, like like the Reaper was literally standing over me. And it will sound almost comical, but it was anything but. I mean, I I lived, I didn't really live, I existed um, waiting to not be here anymore. And then I suppose the so way I did, didn't... So when did that start? That was kind of after after that it, initial sort it of first It was all year. after I completed that list, yes. Mm. Um, I think once there was a sense that after I'd gone travelling, after I'd lived that life, after I'd got a new career and I'd run this big long run and um, on the North Downs way and honoured his memory, it was kind of like, I now need to, like you said, um, after your husband, I now need to get on with the rest of my life. But Mm -hmm. I didn't appreciate that there was a huge piece missing and that I I would have to rebuild myself in some way because obviously having done the things I've done, I felt on the surface complete, but underneath and to any kind of reasonable test, I was, you know, ready to just shatter against any kind of, challenge or hardship and um it's in a good and a bad way that it's just made me so much more vulnerable to the point where you know any any small achievement or any small bad thing can just really set me off and I don't mean in a a really dark way but I mean in a very emotional way I mean Mm. I could just be I mean I'm on the verge of tears listening to you describe me as a uh you know, an amazing endurance honor or whatever your words were. I mean, I just, um, I think it's a good thing that I'm very vulnerable and the heart's on the sleeve and stuff. I think all we hear now is we have to be honest and open as part of the reason I volunteered to um, do this with you. I just wanted to help at least one other person so yeah, they wouldn't absolutely. suffer. Yeah, but then I think we've both experienced perhaps the, um, the downside of... Um, just stuffing the emotions away Mm. and certainly displacing burying yeah distracting uh, hiding from and uh, I've said it before and obviously running is you know surprisingly to me become an absolute bedrock for me in terms of my active recovery physically and more more so mentally it's the thing that steadies me and I, I once said to someone it felt very profound the only time that I wasn't worried I was going to die or have a heart attack, surprisingly, was when I was running and when I was running marathons. And the longer and further I could run, the more I could distract myself and delay the inevitable that I was, well, what one going to, um, I, you know, drop dead um, or, you know, passively end my own life. As you say, I came pretty close to losing myself, not through what we'd say suicide um but I suppose suicide by proxy of just living so deeply unhealthily mm. including the running um yes. but then going home chain drinking chain smoking doing anything really that just felt self-sabotage enough to uh to well on that day kind of knock me out but sometimes you I suppose I just kind of thought in the back of my mind, well, it wouldn't be the worst thing if I didn't wake up because I wouldn't have to deal with doing this again tomorrow. Gosh, but, oh, here yeah. I am. And here's tomorrow. And 
let's mm. do the same thing again and not learn the lesson because we're just not capable of it. Yeah. And, no, and actually saying it now, no books, no quick fixes would have actually sorted that out. No, no. So that sounds like that was your absolute low point, was it? I think the absolute low point was um, probably around Christmas 2020, um, which is ironic. I keep using the word ironic. There's lots of irony in my life um, because I absolutely adore that period. It's um, a hallmark, I suppose, of positivity that since dad passed away with both my brothers, my mum, we've all not necessarily spent every single day together, although at the moment mum and I do do dog walks every single day because we uh, now mercifully live much closer and um, that that's just a beautiful thing. But we um, we got closer in the sense that I think the time we spent together was more appreciated and this was all kind of passive. But I think yeah. that was, for me, I'd always been a bit of a, in, you know, all, all forms of life and you probably watch me at running events maybe didn't watch me but I was pretty much always on my own I was very comfortable on my own I've mm. always been on my own because I haven't ever wanted to rely on anyone else um that changed when dad died um especially as I became aware of how vulnerable I was on my own and that I did actually need support and that was I suppose part of growing up and people learn this at various ages some people who are older than me may not fully appreciate it but we started to really appreciate each other's company that was emotional that, and was that as a result of lockdown that we happened it, that you had that sort of opportunity to connect more with your family that that made it worse and then it made it better because I still lived on my own then and that's why that was such a difficult year for me it was very difficult for so many people but I was at times during some of the stricter periods I was totally adrift unable to even see past day at the doorstep delivery either way my own mum who became even more precious in my life when I lost dad um she's always been you know fundamental to me and you know my my hero but to not be able to hug and see and eat with and do all those things was incredibly hard it wasn't the only thing driving me down the very dark road but that that was making it worse and the trouble was none of us had any control over it none at all and being out of control in that way you start to control the only things you can which for me was actually going to the shop within my one daily allowance which I uh, coupled cleverly alongside my run so I thought to buy myself a couple of bottles of wine every single day and and switch off my brain in the only way that I knew how to um and that got to a point, as I was saying, um, in December, where I, I did actually kind of confront and I'd thankfully, thank goodness, started speaking to a counsellor who actually understood where I was coming from, having gone through something similar with his own mother and lost her to an addiction and was actually an addiction and grief and loss specialist. And thank goodness oh. I found Luke. Um, but I can remember articulating to him that I felt like I was passively ending my own life something that I've you know been very upfront with in blogs and other things because I won't hide any of this um but actually having a full-blown worst panic attack I've ever had while talking to my counsellor and then being kind of angry and surprised that you know I think to get better you sort of have to get worse it's a cliche but it's true yes. um I had to go down that far to stand up again so 
Yeah, yeah. So what was the catalyst for change? It was lots of things. Um, people I speak to now, and it's ironic, um, that people um, who I suppose I used to look at and think, God, I would do anything to switch places with you. I, I just assumed that these things, dad dying, the pandemic, being alone, they were all done to me by some unseen force. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like somebody was, you know, some hateful, you know, ether was, was just, um, I suppose, trying to make my existence totally untenable. Um, and it's an irrational feeling, but, but, you know, we're irrational beings at times. It wasn't helped by a plague of anxiety, drinking, you know, self-perpetuating mental um, issues. But I, I slowly pieced myself back together. And that was, as I've said in my own writing, through those persistent friends who probably felt like, why is he never replying to me when they'd reach out on Facebook because they hadn't seen or heard from me? You know, the mum who wouldn't stop coming around and doing those dinner drop-offs, even though it probably was very hard to come to the door. Mm. and see me the way I was and um then that little bit of me that was left that was able to uh claw my way out that that decided you know to throw the Hail Mary and and look for that counsellor who might be able to help and thank god I I nailed it and found someone and I asked um a good mutual friend of ours uh, to start running with me and even though I loathed and detested myself you know, I quickly became aware that, you know, someone out there liked me. Someone yeah. wanted to spend a bit of time with me because um, I felt worthless to everyone. Gosh. And it was so hard just to, just to ask, you know, for anyone's time. And yes. This is why you reject the, you reject the offers for help. You turn them away because you don't want to be helped because you're beyond help. Mm. And was it feeling a sense of not being worthy of help and support? Yeah, I was, I was my own lost cause. Mm. I, I'd given up on me and in my head, that was it. It didn't matter what anyone said, however much I love them, how much I respect them. Whatever they said couldn't trump, well, the feeling that I was living a, an untenable pointless life because of the way I was treating myself and therefore I wasn't entitled to help I didn't deserve support I would be wasting their time I felt like a waste of everyone's time gosh I just can't imagine what that must have felt like a really neither can I anymore until I start point. to describe it it's mm. it's it's almost impossible to remember in in a way that gives me you know great joy to say because yes. I've found stabilizers I found guide ropes that I can hold on to even when I'm you know as I was over the weekend slip sliding around in my road shoes in the mud I can grab a piece of a uh, barbed wire and just narrowly avoid uh, cutting my hands by catching the metal in between and it's it's a delicate balance as mm. it was at the weekend but yeah um, so, there are so ways what were, to stay standing what were some of those guide guideline guide ropes that you used 
so as I say, I've, I found the counselling. I had yeah. um, a couple of friends, I should say, actually, who I'd meet in the week for runs. It just meant that I got to see somebody else. I got some distraction. I got to hear about a different perspective and maybe they would reflect back at me some of the things I was saying in just the right way that made them feel absurd and made me feel liked, you know, loved. Yeah. And then I would get to see family again for small things, you know, even if it was, you know, virtual dinner parties or what have you. Um, other than that, um, I, 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 I ha I've always had running. I started to use it in the right way. Um, Counselling and actually attempting some Alcoholics Anonymous calls gave me a bit of a kick. I, I, um, I didn't persist with that because actually I, I chose to go sort of the, I think the therapy route and then the, yeah. um, the physical activity route as distraction rather than listening to the woes and stuff. Because to be honest, at a point when I stabilised, that was compounding the, uh, right. the misery or almost, you know, it wasn't for me, not to say it's yeah. not a useful tool. But Absolutely. Something, there's so there's, you know, you have to find the tool that's right for you. And it's a combination. It's um, yeah, it's a Swiss army knife you need to, to, mm. to sort out a problem of that size once you accept it. And other things, little things that, that maybe I don't use anymore, but there was a five minute journal exercise that I had to do. Well, I, 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 I wanted to do when my therapist suggested it, which was to do various exercise every day called five minutes in the morning. You make yourself a cup of tea or coffee and you write a five minute love letter to yourself. You write a, um, you know, a, a sort of shopping list of, uh, of positive things you'd like to do just to make you feel a basic sense of hope sort of the the sense that had deserted me but I think now definitely any human including me has a right to hope for a better future even yeah. if their present is a very dark thing yeah absolutely and then of course I can't, can't not mention that I am um, I'd already found my dog um, and he yes. was the one however bad I felt even when I was still drinking those two bottles of wine and whatever else every night, vodka, beer, everything. And I'd wake up feeling like an old shoe, sort of laugh at the expression now, but that's exactly how I felt. Him and my need to care for him and give him a good life better than mine even at the time was something I wouldn't, you know, fall foul of. I wouldn't not take him for his walk. I would not not feed him. I wouldn't leave him in his cage where he slept um I would I would do right by him even if mm. I was still abusing myself and we would play ball and fetch even if I had a bottle of Malbec in my hand at the time and I'm still incredibly proud of the fact that I've you know I know he's not a child but I've raised him and sort of looked after him to the point where people talk about how nice his temperament is and I sort of being with pride and think well I, I've done something really positive Absolutely. People are probably surprised the people who see me at weekends to hear that that's the kind of foundational thing I'll link back to rather than running achievements. But this is a life. And now I suppose, given what I've done and what we're talking about and what we're going to talk about, I've also done that with my own life. I've I've cultivated something better than was there before. Mm. And I have hope. Oh, I mean, that's just that's just lovely to hear. And obviously, at some point you made that sort of turnaround from 
to to start to not over not only look after yourself emotionally and mentally but also physically as well yeah and and that came it's I don't I don't even really like starting with explaining the, the, the practical steps because actually it came after New Year's Eve where I'd agreed with myself and I've done this before I've actually done it very close to some of your run, uh, the running events that we we, uh, we go to together. Um, I, I decided New Year's Eve was the last time I was going to drink until I could manage myself better. It felt arbitrary. I don't really ha- ever have any sort of buy into stuff like dry Januaries or things like that. But I had to have a cut off somewhere. And having had the December I'd had and waking up again on New Year's Day, an old shoe and taking a picture of myself just for accountability and comparison purposes, I sort of looked in the mirror and said to myself that I I don't need to drink. I, I'm not going to drink. And for a whole month, I didn't drink. And then for another whole month, I didn't drink. And then for another month, I didn't drink. And, and what did I do in Instead, you mentioned looking after yourself physically. I'd probably been abusing myself with some of the running that that we do and we love, you know, the really long distance stuff. And it's ironic that I've just done a couple of very big things. (laughs) But that that is being in a much physically better position, because what I would do every night, Rachel, is go out and I didn't care about pace. I didn't want to set times or records or improve anything. I just wanted to distract myself. And all I had to do was fill a couple of hours every evening where I would otherwise be sat on the sofa drinking a bottle of wine. Mm. So I'd take my dog out. I'd put him down I'd finish my work for the day. I would then go out for one, two hours and I would cover 10 uh, kilometers every night, every single day um, without fail uh, in one continuous effort. And what I wouldn't do was take any money with me, no bank cards, nothing, no phone. Um, all I would have is my music. You know, I love my music and yes. my house keys and a bottle of water. And that was it. And that was every single evening for three months in the hammering, uh, honking rain, in the terrible winds, in the snow. Yeah. Um, I would just go out and, yeah, OK, it, it's its own torture. But for me, it was total freedom mm-hmm. from myself from the worst version of me and after perhaps a month six weeks the the sort of chemical desire the mental desire to lean on the crutch as I call it because I don't really think chemically I was an addict I was using and abusing alcohol in the total wrong way I don't to this day think it's an evil thing but it was my poison it is a poison but I was using it to effectively blank my mind so I didn't have to confront grief yes are you familiar with the work of Gabor Mate I'm not I think oh, I've okay. heard the name before yeah, but I won't pretend I know who he okay, is okay so he's um he's like one of the, the top trauma people in in the world really um and he he deals a lot with addiction and he he says that in his therapy work he doesn't ask um, what is the addiction. He asks what is the pain, right? Because that's that's the you know he he in a way he's not interested in the addiction, but he he knows that um, you know people addictions arise because people are trying to escape pain, and it's the pain that needs dealing with, not the addiction. Yes. Yeah, and I think. Just to draw a comparison, I think when I ran that same 100 miler and there is a lovely kind of um, 
um, what's the word, uh, mirror image, and I can't think of a clever word. It's kind of a mirror image um, between the, um, the North Downs 100 I did in 2016 and the one I just finished at the weekend, in the sense that with the first one, I felt like I was running away from something. This time I felt like I was running with it. Does that yes. make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I, I was distracting myself the first time, yeah. but this time, and I've had other losses since, a good friend, Mark Thornbury, who actually also passed away from cancer, far yes. too young, a father yeah. himself. And we've had other losses, um, but I would use the run to think about these things and I would cry and I would sing songs and I would probably look a mess at three in the morning in the middle of the woods um, near Ranscombe Farm Reserve, <laughs> um, reciting uh, If by Rudyard Kipling and all of this stuff and just weeping loudly and snottily to myself. But that's that's my own therapy. And mm. I won't you know, ever apologise for that because I'm being open and honest with these things now. And my heart's on my sleeve. But, you know, you, you, you take me as you find me. Yeah. And, and, and that's 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 being real for me. And I think that's what may, I, I, I hope, just help anyone else that finds themselves on the dark road I'm still travelling down. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure there will be people who will who will benefit from hearing this conversation. So what would you say has been your sort of biggest lesson out of all of this? I think... My biggest lesson is that, well, the, the, can I have two? Because it's, it's, you can have two. <laughs> it's got to be, thank you. It's got to be, it's got to be that you are never too strong or powerful to ask for help, but you can be too weak to ask for help. And what I mean by that is that we should never, however strong we think we are in, any capacity or however good we think we are at something you are never without the need for help support and love because without those things which every person deserves in some capacity you will eventually fall down and you won't have anyone to help you back up and so trying to be strong or trying to stand out is well and good but you've got to stay humble and accept yes. before it's, you know, frankly, too severe and too late that you need others. And the second part of it is related. And it's that however low you feel, there is someone who cares about you. There is always someone who cares about you. And there's someone who's willing to be that person, even when you convince yourself because you are stubborn, that they aren't interested or that they're just doing it for other reasons that's the irrational part of your brain talking and you just need to take a chance on others even if you have been burned or aren't a very trusting person I'm not talking just about myself here or if you are used to being a lone wolf and doing it on your own you can't live like that that's not what human beings are and that's something I learned the hard way but I think I think about all these things, like when you go through suffering, when you go through things, and I won't say what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but I think people are a lot better off for having a little bit of pain in their lives because it makes you appreciate all of the good stuff. Absolutely. 
I, yeah, I, I don't know if it's a saying or whether it's just something that I say, but um, I was saying in order to experience great joy, you have to have experienced great sorrow. I think so too. I think if there's no, and just a side note, this is the reason why I actually resisted, um, this, is, this is a totally different conversation, I resisted going on to antidepressants or rather I came off of them after taking them for a while because I don't want to feel nothing. Yeah. I want to feel everything. I just want to be able to um, find ways to manage that. And as I say, other people are more important than anyone realises sometimes in that equation. Mm. Um, and I uh, can't, can't help let it go. But um, as Dolly Parton said, I think you can't, and very, very, very relevant to the weekend we've just had and the horrible run <laughs> conditions we were in, you can't, you, you know, you can't have the rainbow if you don't first have the rain. So yeah that's very cliche isn't it but it's it's prescient uh, yeah but it's true though isn't it absolutely 100% very true um I like your way of putting it better but it's it's self-evident that that that's the case I am having been through what I've been through and that sounds almost like too grandiose because I mean I'm actually not even 35 years old yet but I'm actually glad this has happened to me when I'm this age, because I'll enjoy the rest of my life so much more. Yes. And I've got so much more living to do. Yeah. And I'm going to appreciate every single minute and I'm going to fill it with whatever joy I can. And when pain comes, I think I'll know how to deal with it. I know the guide ropes and I have friends and family who will help and love me and support me through it. And I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? That's just... That's just fantastic to to hear you say that, you know, after the obviously very, very low point you were at, you know, just kind of eight months or so. And what, you know, in a way, what more could you wish for than to be able to look forward to the rest of your life with with absolute sort of joy and excitement for for what it will bring both sort of good times and bad times just knowing that you've got those resources now that you know you can you can pull into into play as and when they're needed absolutely and people used to tell me and this is one of the things that bugged me when I was in my irrational lowest state people used to tell me to write things like gratitude lists including my therapist and I thought well what good's that going to do none of that's going to happen or you know change my mood but actually now while I don't necessarily get a piece of paper out and write it down every day, I can look, you know, just around, I can look at my messages. I can, you know, see all the lovely things people say, whether it's outside when we're running or, or not. And as long as I can accept a little bit of that. And as I said, right at the start, it's very, very hard for people who are like me in any way. And there's lots of us um, to accept compliments, but that's where you've got to trust people and take them as you find them Mm. because they mean that. They mean that. They wouldn't say it if they didn't mean it. They wouldn't spend time with you if they didn't want to. They wouldn't go out of their way to help you if you weren't worthwhile. And that's something, you know, that I've learned the hard way. But I'm just so grateful, there's the word again, for having that self-awareness now and having that awareness of others and being able to, okay, I might sort of laugh it off at first, but I will always accept a compliment now and that's something that healing has taught me yeah oh wonderful well 
thank you so much for being so sort of open and and vulnerable with with what you've shared i've i've certainly gained a lot from this conversation and i'm sure that the listeners will do too um so many you know just that sort of last bit about being strong you know and, and being able to accept support but also knowing when you're weak to accept support as well um yeah really quite profound thank you i really hope it can help someone no thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about it um anytime it's um yeah if, if it can help even one person a little bit it's been worthwhile so thanks so much rachel what a wonderful uplifting conversation thank you rob and i hope you the listener found something useful to take away too perhaps about learning to reach out when you're both strong and weak trusting that there are people to break your fall or perhaps to think about what your guide ropes might be being grateful for what you have is such a positive habit to form and i'm grateful for my support network that enables me to present this podcast for jamie farrell for the beautiful music he wrote and of course for you for listening i'll be back in two weeks time for another lesson from loss